Hi, everyone, and welcome to the American Ambulance EMS podcast. My name is Dr. Danielle Campaign, and I am your American Ambulance Medical Director. Um, I'm excited today to be here with uh, co-host uh, Dr. Patil Armenian, and we have a special guest co-host, Dr. Whitney Johnson. Um, Whitney, you want to tell us about yourself? Hi there. Thank you guys for having me. Um, I am a fourth-year resident, one of the chief residents here at Community Regional in Fresno, um, and both Patil and Danielle are my attendings. So it's pretty awesome that they have me here today. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for being here. Um, also today, we have a guest with us that normally is behind the scenes, but we have our very own um, John Mark Bergen, who's going to be here and tell us about his story with um, Lightning. Who serves a million people in the valley? We do. The brave men and women of the double A are the best at what they do in EMS today. The finest place in the world to be is right here as a part of American's family. Help is on the way, got a unit and route. No matter the problem, when in doubt, we send them out. Sure as the sunrise, sure as I bust this rhyme, 10 minutes or less. Every call, every time, this is my career path, this is what I do. The double A's, red, white, and blue. Get your call on. Here comes American. Get your lights on. Here comes American. Get your gurney on. Here comes American. Get your gloves on. Here comes American. Get your save on. Hi, John Mark. Thanks for coming from behind the scenes and uh, being willing here to tell us about your story. But before you get to the story, tell us about yourself. Tell me what brought, brought you to Fresno. Yeah, I'm usually running the computer in these podcasts in the background, the silent participant. <laughs> um, I grew up in West Africa, actually, and that's where my story comes from today. But moved here when I was in high school and then went to college here in Fresno and started working for American Ambulance almost five years ago now. Video production, print production, graphic design, all that stuff. So all the cool things we see about American, all the logos, all the awesome videos are all thanks to you. I've probably had my hand in those projects, yes. <laughs> awesome, well tell us about Africa. Granted, Africa had to be amazing. So tell us about your experience and your story with Lightning. Yeah, I grew up in a country called Burkina Faso that not too many people have ever heard of when I mention it. Um, it correct our memories that west side, east side, what kind of, what side of that Africa? That is West Africa, just south of Mali and just north of Ivory Coast, if those names ring bells. We're actually just a couple hundred miles south of Timbuktu. That's where I grew up. That's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's a small, well, it's not small anymore, but it's a village in West Africa that didn't have running water or plumbing or that kind of stuff. And it's located between a hill and a swamp. So anytime a big rain would come, the water would come down the hill through the village right by our house and out to the swamp. And I don't know why, maybe because of the land area, the, how that was all situated, but we got a lot of lightning. And whenever a, a tropical storm would roll through, it would be so bright at night, it felt like it was daytime sometimes because you could just see a constant stream of lightning coming down from the sky. And I remember at least half a dozen stories of people getting struck by lightning while I was growing up there. But the closest one was our neighbors, just in the courtyard next to ours. One of our, my neighbor's wives was walking from the well, and it's, there's no plumbing, so it's just a well, and she had just pulled the water up and had it in a, in a tub on her head. And lightning struck her and killed her instantly, and her son next to her was totally fine. But what was really crazy about that story was a ball of lightning flew out from where she was and across the yard and struck the old lady who lives in that courtyard. 
and she got severely burned and died a couple days later, unfortunately. Wow. So it's a, a case of ball lightning, which is pretty rare. Yeah, extremely rare. We're going to talk about that a little bit as we get into it, um, how rare ball lightning is. Um, and as kids, were you taught, like, as part of your schooling, how to, how to like, precautions or prevent getting hit by lightning, like, don't go out in the field or don't be the tallest thing? Or was it not part of kind of the education that just happened? Oh, yeah, we were. We were, we were told to get low. If we saw lightning, get low and hunker down, sort of, until it blew over. But that was hard because when the storms hit, that's where the fun is. And all the, all the water from the village actually went through a canal behind our house out to the plain where all the fields are. And when it was a big rain, that ditch would flood. And so we would run out there and float down the, the ditch in the water. And I remember one time in particular, we floated down out onto the plain, and then the lightning started hitting. And we were thinking, we can't get home very quickly and there's lightning striking all around. And I kept thinking, are we gonna die? Because electricity runs through water, right? Like, I was really scared that evening, but we made it. Yeah, you're here to tell our stories. Yeah. That's great, <laughs> that's great. Well, thank you so much. It's getting us all primed for a lightning case if you had been struck and EMS had been called. So we'll talk about that. Well, this is really such an interesting story because one lightning strike gets two people, not just one. And this is kind of a, a story you hear repeated over and over when it comes to lightning, which is it's never, a, sometimes not a case of just one person, but more than one. Like I was reading that 15% of lightning strikes are in two individuals and then another 15% are in three. So, so that's really interesting because more than one third of lightning strikes affect multiple people and how often do you say that of such a random chance occurrence and it is very um not common it's not happening very often a lot of people go oh like you were saying am i gonna hit by lightning now granted in africa there's much more lightning going on than like here in california especially in fresno but uh, the stats are that lightning morbidity and mortality in the united states affects nearly 400 persons annually well that's only 40 deaths a year think about it. that's not very much at all think about all the people who live in the United States, only 40 people um, die of this. But per capita, if you look at countries around the world, Cuba really leads the, the pack with six deaths per one million. Um, and, uh, and really the, the list of the top 10 countries is kind of interesting because you have Cuba, Panama, Barbados, South Africa, Romania that round out the top five. And it's, uh, it just has to do with think what the different microclimates are in those regions that produce more lightning strikes. Yeah, and they talk about a thousand fatalities worldwide a year. So um, compared to the rest of the world, the United States is very low with uh, only the 40 deaths a year. Um, I know the high mountain environment, it's five times more um, likely to get hit by uh, lightning. And of course, I think for us in the high mountain, that's where you're closer to the storms, the lightning storms to happen. Um, so who gets struck? You know, in my mind, maybe it's a kid playing out in the water like John Mark was. But uh, does anyone, um, Patel, do you know anything about uh, who gets struck the most? Well, it used to be farmers because they were the ones kind of outside the most. And now we kind of switch to other people that are outside a lot, which are um, golfers, climbers, joggers, uh, construction workers. Basically, if you're outside braving the elements, um, you're going to have a higher likelihood of getting affected. 
Yeah, those poor golfers, you know, they don't only get injured while they're playing the sport, but it sounds Does like... it have to do with holding a golf club, too? Is that... As I'm guessing, a, a high metal up in the I air. Yeah, our, our neighbor had a metal bowl of, full of water on her head. So that's kind of like a lightning rod in some ways. Exactly. Oh, it was a metal bowl. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, it could. And you'd be the tallest thing in the area if it's a flat courtyard and you'd have metal on top of your head. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. The old lady was sitting, so she wasn't the tallest thing in the yard. Wow, so that kind of hits home. All right, let's talk about some lightning myths. You know, everybody thinks lightning is always fatal. Um, it's actually not always fatal. We're going to get into that. Um, and people talk about how lightning never strikes the same place twice. Um, so lightning is only fatal 20 to 30% of the time. Um, but it does strike uh, the same place lots of times. So uh, for here in the United States, when so the Sears Tower, it gets struck a thousand times a year. Um, so it can strike the same exact place. I had no idea. That's, so, a, that's a lot. Right. So that's a lot of times it gets struck. So everybody says, oh, if you get struck once there, it's not going to happen again. And, and that's uh, not true. Not true at all. Um, and then it talked about another false myth is that uh, victims remain electrified. So it's like, oh, don't touch them after they hit by lightning because then you'll get the electricity. And that's also false. That's a myth. That's not true. You don't remain electrified. It just passes through you and keeps going on. I always have this vision about Wiley Coyote when he's chasing the roadrunner and he gets struck and he completely like pauses right where he's like in run mode. Is that really a thing that happens with victims? Right. They call it suspended animation. That's right. Everybody kind of thinks that. And that is another uh, lightning myth that you are not suspended animation. It'd be super cool if you were, though. Uh, But no, unfortunately, you get hit and usually you fall to the ground. Um, so let's talk about the difference between lightning versus high voltage. Everybody gets like high voltage, low voltage, AC, DC. Um, Patil, you want to break that down for us a little bit? I'm glad you gave me the topic that's the hardest to break down. No, I'm kidding. Um, but um, yeah, so we have AC and DC currents. Uh, and AC is basically what is in high voltage power lines. And so those are um, those are going to be really the most dangerous um, ones to get into contact with. And then, um, and then in homes, um, we also have um, the transformers that go to homes are AC currents. And because AC is an alternating current, it's considered to be more dangerous than DC, which is a direct current. Um, now, lightning strikes technically are AC, but because all of the energy is delivered so quickly and rapidly in kind of one strike, it is really more like a DC current. Um, Now, um, what does that really mean? Um, I think it just means that it is a little bit less energy than an electrical worker that's working on a transformer, like a high voltage power line, for example. Those are much more dangerous injuries than a lightning strike, surprisingly. Well, then we talk about like the severity of the injury um, when you get hit by lightning or any kind of electrical current. It depends on is it AC versus DC and, and how long are you exposed to, like the duration. You know, you hear these horrific stories of these high voltage power line workers holding on, right? They get contractures of their muscles and they can't let go in that duration. They're getting the high power, you know, and also uh, what pathway it took. Like if you got hit lightning in just your hand or did it go through your whole body, like uh, the woman John Mark was saying, and it's probably why she died because, you, you know, it goes through your heart kind of across this midline. Um, and so the resistance of those tissues and the pathway it takes um, also affect your severity of injury. 
And there are certain tissues that are more affected than others simply because of resistance, like Danielle said. So your your nerves, for example, are much lower resistance. So they're probably going to get affected more than something like bone, which has higher resistance. So people might have, you know, their nerves affected, but not necessarily get broken bones from it. So it really just depends on on the actual the time, the duration, as well as the tissue that the electricity is going through in your body. And I want to jump and talk about the ball lightning that John Mark um, kind of brought up. That is like a crazy cool phenomenon. It's really unexplained atmospheric electrical phenomenon that nobody really knows why it happens or how it happens. But basically, just like you said, the spherical object kind of flows through and it can be tiny, like they talk about ball or pea size to several meters in diameter. So that could be huge ball of electrical energy and it's usually associated with thunderstorms um, and it lasts longer than a second uh, like a flash of lightning so it can last a lot longer so it makes sense that person was very significantly burned because the amount of heat that's touching them is for a much longer period of time just sounds like magic you know so i really appreciate all the knowledge that you guys are dropping right now with some of these facts this is a pretty great topic uh, i know that it's very applicable for some of the medics here but also what's really great for me hearing it from you guys is that i go up and train some of the park medics in our national park uh, but the one thing that I'd be curious about, you know, telling them about as well is kind of what are some of the injuries that they need to be aware of? What are some of the things that could potentially kill their patients? Right. So let's talk about um, the pathophysiologic effects of different intensities of these currents, right? So at first, if you get a small shock or you're around the electricity that's very um, low current, you can see a tingling. You know, you talk about you fall into a fence that has like, you know, the electrical barbs for keeping the cows in, right? You're, you might get like tetany of your grass. You can't like let go up to a certain point. Then you get true tetany of your muscles. Then that progresses to paralysis of your respiratory muscles. So that is the dangerous part. So they get to diaphragm, um, getting paralyzed, which can lead to respiratory arrest. Then as you get even higher up, you have go into V-fib and then eventually asystole. Um, so it kind of depends on how much uh, electrical current you're getting exposed to. There's a great uh, diagram that lists all this out, and it was listed in critical care medicine in 2002. Not much has changed over the years. I mean, it's pretty... Um, these, these are hard studies to do. Now, one thing to talk about is the AC versus DC. So high voltage versus lightning, you know, both of those are considered DC, direct current. And those you most often go into V-fib or asystole. So I think when you talk about you're up in the parks, someone gets hit by lightning or has an electrical injury, they're probably going to find them in some kind of arrhythmia. So if you come on the scene, the one interesting thing is if they are okay upon arrival, they're going to stay okay. They're not going to die on you later. But it's the people who are dead upon arrival that you want to focus on, people who are not breathing upon arrival. And so when you guys are looking at these fatalities, your weather fatalities and things like that, is it most often happening with the lightning strike itself or... So, Whit, thanks for bringing up weather fatalities. You know, lightning is very interesting, and we always pay attention to it. And um, if anyone gets killed by lightning, you know, that makes usually the national media because it's so rare. Um, but that is not usually what's going to kill you. Um, nationally, it, uh, the most important weather fatality is actually heat, heat illness, heat stroke, um, kills more people. And there's a great study done at a wilderness environmental medicine in 2012 that talks about different fatalities, whether it's like from winter storms, from cold injury, heat illness, tornadoes. But the most um, thing that's going to kill you is heat and the least is hurricane and lightning towards the low bottom, the low 15%. So we're out hiking. Don't worry about getting hit by lightning unless you have really bad luck and then it might happen, but it is very rare. Yeah, I could definitely see that being the case here in Fresno because it gets hot. Yeah, exactly. disgustingly hot. 
Now let's talk about uh, triage. So we go on scene, you know, uh, Patil earlier talked about there's usually two or three victims, you know, and the definition of MCI in our system is, you know, one that overwhelms your resources are greater than five um, people. So uh, Patil, what do we know about MCIs and lightning? This is very interesting because it kind of flips the script on how we're used to dealing with not only MCIs, but cardiac arrests. So typically in an MCI, which as you mentioned, is more than five, so six or greater victims, um, you go and you quickly assess them, you do, um, you do s- rapid triage, and you assign them your, your color codes for, you know, black is for dead, red is for critically injured, basically priority transport, yellow somewhere in the middle, and green is low transport. Green are like the walking wounded who are just doing fine. And typically we focus on the reds, right? Because we're like, you're not dead yet. Um, and if we do a lot of things, you know, we can help you and we can make you better. Now, lightning strikes are where we actually focus on what looks like dead. So that's just totally different. So you go to those first. And so if, you, if they look like they're not breathing, they don't have a pulse, you actually maximally resuscitate them. You put them on oxygen. Um, if they're in um, any type of abnormal cardiac rhythm, you follow your ACLS protocols and you either you defibrillate or you do chest compressions. And basically the bottom line is you're going to go to them first. Because if somebody lives through a lightning strike, they're going to live. They're not going to die at that point. So you can leave them alone and kind of deal with their superficial burns later. Um, focus on the ones that look dead. And even focus on the big burns later, right? So, I mean, even if someone's really burned from a lightning strike but is breathing and talking, you're going to go to the guy who's not breathing because of this uh, respiratory paralysis or respiratory arrest yeah. they can have from their diaphragm paralysis. And then they get the secondary hypoxic arrest. So you're trying to prevent that person from dying. Exactly. So that's the thing. They could just not be breathing because their diaphragm's paralyzed. And, that, and that's it. And if you just breathed for them either by bagging them or intubating them or establishing you know another airway like an lma king tube then in effect you've saved them because their only issue was that their diaphragm was paralyzed and sometimes that paralyzed diaphragm comes back it can take you know minutes to hours or there's no great studies on there saying how long until they start breathing on their own but you could imagine um, like whitney brought up from the parks that if you're hit by lightning and they're bagging them they might at some point start breathing on their two-hour transport down the hill so um other things that you can see is, you know, uh, patients can have uh, tym- tympanic membrane rupture. So you can you see ear, you know, blood coming out of their ears. You can see skin findings. Um, there's these things called Lichtenberg figures, which are always really interesting. You see them in textbooks, but they're kind of like this fern-like pattern on their skin. Yeah, it um, almost looks like the lightning strike has been imprinted onto their skin. Right, so you kind of see that. You can get all kinds of burns. Um, you know, John Mark talked about the poor older woman that was completely burned, right? So lots of thermal burns. You can get just the tiniest burn on entry site and the tiniest burn on exit. So everyone's kind of different. But the key thing is it usually hits their heart because electrical activity and it hits the diaphragm for breathing. So I think if you focus on those, sometimes they can have strokes or they can have numbness or paralysis in one leg or one arm. And so that's something that gets better with time and you're not likely going to be able to fix on scene. So you just got to transport them. So, Patil, when our medics are on scene, uh, what is the protocol that they should actually follow? What's your recommendation on that? Now, we don't have a specific lightning strike protocol um, in our SEMSA system, um, but we do have a burn protocol. And so in burn protocols, uh, there is mention of electrical injuries 
uh, that should be treated aggressively with respiratory support, uh, base hospital contact, and ACLS per protocols. Um, and there's uh, some note made that AC results usually in VFib, DC frequently results in asystole. So again, just like we all said earlier, lightning strikes would most frequently result in asystole, and that both have a really high rate of spontaneous return to sinus rhythm with ventilatory support. So that's if you just start bagging them with oxygen or put them on high flow oxygen, that is going to help them. Um, now, um, obviously, if they're in cardiac arrest, we would follow our cardiac arrest protocols. Um, typically, we consider lightning strikes as a cardiac arrest trauma. Um, there's also mention of it made in the cardiac arrest medical protocol. Um, however, they're really all treated the same way, which is aggressive ventilatory management um, and uh, transport and defibrillation as needed. Got it. Okay, that makes sense. And then for anyone that's not a medic, what would be some of the things that you guys would recommend or tell them as far as how to avoid stuff like this? Right, so the key, kind of like drowning, you know, it's easier to prevent something from happening than uh, trying to treat it once it's happened. So the, one of the things they talk about with preventing lightning strikes, if you're out hiking in Sequoia Kings or up in Yosemite, is called the 30-30 rule. So basically, when you can see good, your visibility is great. When you see the lightning in the distance, start counting the seconds until you hear the thunder. So if it's under 30 seconds, you know that the lightning is within six miles. And so you need to seek shelter for at least 30 minutes. So if you're playing outside, if you're on the golf course, that means get out of there and you need to kind of hang out inside um, for 30 minutes. But now you say, what if I'm not golfing? What if I'm not near a shelter? What if I'm just hiking in the middle of nowhere? You're going to avoid open fields. You do not want to be the highest object. Um, So you want to crouch down low. You want to avoid any contact with metal objects. So if you are carrying that bucket of water or that golf club, drop it. Leave it on the ground. You don't want to take it with you. You want to avoid high terrain. You don't want to be the tallest thing. So if you're on a mountain, start hiking down. Avoid big bodies of water. So John Mark, I think, just lucked out not getting struck by lightning in his big body of water. And um, avoid taking refuge under isolated trees or any isolated tall object. Like if there's one random tree, don't go hide right under that. Um, Get out of there. And there's a lot of uh, talk to about if you're in a big group of people, say there's five of you, don't all huddle together, like separate. And I always thought that was interesting. Like why separate? Shouldn't you all? But the idea is that if one person gets struck by lightning, you you don't want all five of you to go down. So that way someone could help you. So the thing of your, your family is to separate out. So that if you get struck, someone can help breathe for you. That's some good advice. I didn't even know about the huddle in group thing, but that makes sense. Yeah, separate, stay far apart. So what are your take-home points about lightning? Whitney? Oh, well, I think the biggest thing is kind of the prevention stuff that you guys hit home about not being in open areas where you could be exposed and potentially even get the injury to begin with. All right, so my take-home point would be reverse triage. Remember, airway, airway, airway. Um, This person, don't call them dead right away. Support them and uh, continue to breathe for them. Yeah, I think that's the main thing. If they look dead, that's the person you should actually attend to first. Great. Thanks, everyone. And thanks, John Mark, for chatting with us. Tell us your story. Thank you. If you guys like the American Ambulance EMS podcast and you feel like this has been useful for you, please give us a five-star review on the iTunes store so that we can move up in the ratings so that uh, other uh, pre-hospital professionals can listen to us as well. Um, And we're also taking any solicitations for ideas or, or topics that you want covered, and you can email us anytime at 
podcast at AmericanAmbulance.com. Once again, that's podcast at AmericanAmbulance.com. Thanks. Thank you for joining us on the American Ambulance EMS podcast, produced by American Ambulance in Fresno, California. The views of the guests and the hosts of this show are their own and don't necessarily reflect the views of American Ambulance or UCSF Fresno. The theme song for the show is written and performed by Roshan Roach. The beats were created by Young Pear and Brett Schoenwald. And I'm John Mark Bergen, American Ambulance's media producer, saying thanks for joining us. Have a great shift and stay safe out there.